You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. decided to join us today, that you are spending a small portion of your morning uh, worshiping with us and studying God's Word with us and joining with us in prayer. And I want to take just a moment to welcome you into my house, into my home. Um, I know that this is a very trying time dealing with all of the the restrictions and the shutdowns uh, related to COVID and and all that the Department of Health is doing and, and the constantly changing um, requirements for that. But I just want to say thank you for your patience. Thank you for your understanding. Thank you for your willingness to, to walk with us in this journey as we, as we do our best to, to follow those guidelines put forth by the, uh, the Department of Health here in the state of New Mexico and to continue to serve God and bring His message, His gospel, to this community. And so whether you're joining us from here in town or somewhere else in the state or somewhere else in the country, or even for those of you that we know have been joining in from other places around the globe, welcome and and thank you. We are honored that you have chosen to spend a part of your day uh, worshiping with us. This morning I want to... uh, to continue in the vein of follow Jesus. You've probably heard that phrase and recognized that we have used that phrase, uh, both the ministers and the elders, quite a bit over the last few months. And I think you're going to find that uh, we will continue to use that phrase as we cast vision for where we believe that First Christian Church in Albuquerque is headed as a community. And even more so as we clarify what our role as disciples, as followers of Jesus, really is. And it really doesn't get much simpler than that. The core of who we are and what we are to be about and what we are to do is all about following Jesus. He is the leader of the church. He is the leader of First Christian. He is the leader of each and every one of us individually, if we have claimed him as as Savior and Lord. He is our Messiah, and He is the one that we are to follow. He is our rabbi, if you will allow, and we are His Talmudim, His disciples. And so I want to, uh, I want to continue in that vein, and I've, uh, I've titled my message this morning, Following Jesus, Faint or Faint? And I hope to clarify that, and by the end of the message, I, th- I hope that you will understand what I mean by that title. Today's scripture is going to be Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and I'd like to take uh, just a moment and read that. I'd like to invite you to to join with me with either your paper Bible or electronic version. Again, that's Matthew chapter 4, and I will be reading from verses 13 through 17, and today I'll be reading out of the ESV version. Uh, That is the English Standard Version. Starting in verse 13. 
And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the wave of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, or Galilee of the nations. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven has come near. During his earthly ministry, Jesus chose to live in the town of Capernaum, a small town on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Capernaum served as a military post for the Roman soldiers, but it also stood along a very busy international trade route called the Via Maris, or the Way of the Sea, and the prophet Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would live by the way to the sea in Isaiah chapter 9, and that was quoted in the passage in Matthew I just read. And Jesus fulfilled this prophecy by living in Capernaum and in a region in a, in a previous teaching that I have done or message that I have given. Uh, we talked about Capernaum being part of the Orthodox Triangle. There were three villages on that northeast shore of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee that composed what is referred to by many scholars as the Orthodox Triangle. And a lot of, of rabbinic uh, teachers, rabbis, held their rabbinic schools there. They trained their disciples in that region. And so Jesus uh, was a tecton by trade, a builder. And we've, if you spend much time in the church and, and reading through the scripture and listening to, to uh, sermons and teachings, you've probably frequently heard Jesus referred to as a carpenter. And no doubt he worked with wood and lumber. But the reality is in, in the land of Israel, especially in the first century, Lumber was not a primary building material. It was an alternate or a secondary building material. And I don't doubt that he worked with it, but the reality is, and especially in the land of, uh, in the region of the Galilee, uh, the primary building material was basalt. Uh, dark black uh, volcanic rock. And that is what is most prevalent in that area. And most structures, buildings, were made of basalt. And in fact... Capernaum is well known for its basalt uh, product manufacturer. And uh, in that area, tectons were well known uh, all over the ancient world for the food processing equipment that they built out of the dark basalt rock. Uh, grain and wheat, um, not threshing, crushing, um, Devices used to, to break down and crush the, the grains of wheat and, uh, and get them ready to, to process into flour. And then also wine, or wine presses, olive presses for, creating, uh, for making olive oil, for breaking up the olives before they went into the weighted press uh, to have the oil pressed out. And so uh, as a tecton, it makes sense for him for a day-to-day a -day work related reason to choose to be in, in Capernaum because they were well known and, and it would be easy for him to ply his trade of building, being a tecton, in a, in a town that was known for its builders. 
Capernaum was also a convenient place for Jesus' ministry. Uh, it would make sense that if you wanted to get a message spread to the world, you'd want to be around a trade route, near a trade route, and Capernaum being close to the Via Maris made sense because you had travelers coming in and out of the town regularly on a daily basis that would come in contact with Jesus and his disciples and his teachings and he could spread that teaching, that message, via those travelers uh, coming in contact with it, traveling along the Via Maris. So, this message of Jesus, what is this message? You, you probably heard of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, this, this gospel message that he came to teach. And uh, what was his message? I think if we, if we summarize that up, Verse 17 that I read just a little while ago from Matthew chapter 4 really is a great summary verse of what that message is. His message was simple. Repent, teshuv, turn away from sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. Though his, his teaching was more than just repent, he clarified what passages in the Torah meant, what he would give interpretation, like all the rabbis, he would give his interpretation and he would teach his disciples how to apply those, those laws and those commands of God to their daily life. And through his teachings, Jesus revealed what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Uh, this kingdom didn't come to abolish the Torah or the, or the Mosaic law or God's law. In fact, the Torah was the very foundation on which this kingdom is to be built. And Jesus challenged his followers to go beyond just the letter of the law, to not be hung up in, in legalistic checklist of just do's and don't, but to truly understand the spirit of the law and to apply that to their lives. And his people were, were called to become servants of others, bringing God's love and grace and mercy and compassion, forgiveness healing and redemption to a world that was hurting and in need. Jesus also revealed that God's kingdom was a kingdom at war, a kingdom in conflict, that even though Jesus' death would, would assure final, ultimate victory, he knew that his followers would face confrontation until his return, and they would need to battle evil until his return. And he also knew that if he taught his disciples how to understand God's law and how to apply it to their lives and how to live that out, that his kingdom would grow and spread throughout the entire world. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that the kingdom of God was like yeast that had worked its way into the entire lump of bread and they couldn't, uh, that it would penetrate the hearts of his followers and that it would spread throughout the entire world as each follower took it to heart and committed to living it out, walking it out in their day-to-day -day lives. And that means us as well. Many of, his, uh, of Jesus' listeners doubted this message. They, they expected an earthly kingdom. They wanted a, a physical king to take over the throne and throw off the yoke of bondage to Rome. And they couldn't believe that one rabbi would be greater than the powerful kingdom of Rome, 
but that's what they wanted. Other people, however, believed and became the first members of, of the spiritual kingdom that Jesus was announcing. And that kingdom now spans the entire globe, made up of Jews and Gentiles who have accepted Jesus, Yeshua, as Messiah and Lord. So let's talk a little bit about the rabbi's disciples. Like other rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples called Talmudim, and they were devout followers who were probably in their mid to late teens, maybe early 20s, some a little older, but the common age for disciples in that day was, was late, to early, uh, late teens to early 20s, and that would not be unheard of. That would be very common. And gifted students would approach a rabbi when they had gone through the second uh, level of Hebrew school, if you will. There were three levels. The first level, all Hebrew boys and some Hebrew girls would go and they would learn or memorize Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible, the, the Levitical law. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if they were able to do that, uh, and had good command of the Torah, the very best of the very best would then go on to the second level of Hebrew school. And I know I've, I've taught about this before, and I'm not going to go deeply into it, but if you were able to make it to the second level of Hebrew school, which was almost always exclusively the males, um, then you would embark on a journey to memorize the rest of the Old Testament, not just the first five books, but all of the Tanakh, including the uh, writings and the prophets. And so if you were able to do that, which very, very few were, if you were able to memorize all of the text and you had a strong command of the text, you were then able to go to a rabbi and ask to follow. You would be able to petition that rab rabbi to become a disciple, a dedicated, devoted student, Talmud, of that rabbi. And if the rabbi saw that you had what he thought was the potential to become what the rabbi was, he would allow you, he would approve for you to follow. Now, Jesus was, was different. He wasn't like the other rabbis of his day. Uh, very few others would do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't wait for students to come ask. In fact, he went to his students. He went to those that he chose and said to them, Lech Akarai, come after me. Uh, come follow me. And I think it's interesting to note that Jesus didn't go to what the other rabbis would consider the best of the best. Jesus went to, to those who had already been turned away. We don't know if it was at the first level or the second level, but they never got to being a disciple. They were not deemed good enough. And so Jesus goes to these, and he says to them, Come after me, come follow me. So he broke the pattern when he chose his own. And he does that to us as well. He, he invites us to come and choose to follow him. Now the Talmud followed the rabbi everywhere, often without knowing where or why they were going somewhere. Um, and he rarely left the rabbi's side for fear that he would miss a potential teachable moment. One of those rare opportunities to really get a deep 
internal look into the working of the rabbi's mind and his understanding and how he would process through different obstacles or objections or questions and how he would handle different situations. And they would watch the rabbi's every move, noting his actions and, and his thoughts about a variety of topics and, and ways of handling. Talmudim trusted their rabbi completely. They worked passionately to incorporate the rabbi's actions and words into their own lives. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely that they would start to think and even act just like the rabbi. And I know we've, we've talked about this in here many times, but that is truly the call for us as disciples of Yeshua Jesus. Our desire, our, our deepest desire, should be to, to want to be so much like the rabbi. In fact, there was a phrase coined, uh, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi was an honor, a badge of honor. And, and it came from the fact that, that the disciple, the true disciple, would follow the rabbi so closely that as the rabbi walked along the road, his sandals would kick up the dust from the road onto the disciple as the disciple followed. And so to be covered in your rabbi's dust was a badge of honor. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be as his teacher, will be like his teacher. And Jesus' disciples ultimately succeeded in becoming like their rabbi. Their missionary efforts changed the world. And in fact, most of them wound up giving their lives for his message. And the call of Jesus to, to those who would follow him is not just a call to be a student. In fact, the life of the Talmud is, is different. The, the, the disciple-rabbi relationship is different than the student-teacher relationship. Most often, the student-teacher relationship, the student wants to know what the teacher knows, what, what this teacher has to teach. The disciple wants to become who and what the rabbi is. And so Jesus' call to those who would follow him is a call to radical discipleship. In fact, on a stormy evening, Jesus had sent his disciples out across the Sea of Galilee and stayed behind to pray, and a great storm came up. And, and the boat that the disciples were rowing was was being tossed by the waves, and they're being hammered by the sea, and by the rain, and by the wind. And this figure comes walking out on the water near them, and, and the disciples are terrified. But Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And one, one disciple is able to look past the fear of the situation, and say to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come walk to you on the water. And Jesus says to Peter, Come. And Peter, for just a moment, gets up, puts his fear to the side, steps out of the boat and onto the water, and begins to walk on the water to perform something supernatural towards Jesus. 
but he loses his focus. He's distracted by the wind and the waves and the rain and the chaos and begins to sink. But for just one moment, Peter understood true discipleship and experienced supernatural. I don't know if you know or not, but in that day, in that, in that time in history, the people of the Middle East viewed bodies of water, large bodies of water, not as places where they wanted to go and hang out, but as a symbol of the abyss where, where demons dwell. And uh, so most people didn't swim. And so to be out on the water and into the water was not something that people were comfortable with. And there were two types of fishermen, and even fishermen didn't really swim. There were those who fished from the boats in deeper water, and those who went into about waist deep or maybe belly button deep uh, and cast nets, used drag nets to drag smaller fish in closer to the shore. But swimming was not a common uh, pastime in the ancient Mideast. So on that stormy night, Jesus walks under the water and Peter follows him. He so strongly desired to be like his rabbi that he risked not only drowning, but his, he risked everything to be criticized by those around him, the other disciples, but to embrace his faith and to walk out on the water to Jesus. Peter reached another low point in his ministry, in his life. On the night that Jesus was to be crucified, Jesus was arrested and imprisoned by the Roman guards. And during the pain and the confusion of that night, Peter denied that he had ever known Jesus. And for any other rabbi, that would be the end of Peter's role as a disciple. He would be done. He would be turned away. But Jesus, Jesus didn't turn him away. Jesus was a very special rabbi. He wasn't like other rabbis. After he was crucified and when he had been resurrected, Jesus, one of the very first things he does is reinstate Peter and gives him a commission, a command. Peter, feed my sheep. He encouraged Peter to take on the role of shepherd, a role that Jesus himself had not only filled, but modeled for us. And by choosing these words, he gave Peter an incredible promise. Peter, even though you've stumbled and failed, you can still be like me. Now, I understand we will never be Messiah. But we can be like the character of Jesus as a person. We can emulate and imitate our rabbi. The call to be a Talmud is something that you and I are given, and we must embrace it. As Christians, we look at Jesus' disciples and we are challenged to radical discipleship, following the rabbi regardless of the cost. Today, many of Jesus' followers lack the passion of Talmudim. They are followers in title alone. You and I are called to go beyond looking at discipleship as learning theological knowledge, but rather to devoting our lives to 
the message and the personality and the character traits of who Jesus was and who he continues to be. All too often, we miss out as God's people opportunities to experience God's power and to proverbially walk on water in the midst of our life's storms. We are just either too busy with our own schedules and goals or we're too afraid to leave our security. But Jesus calls us to take that step, to walk that path. As we look at his Talmudim, we are challenged, yes, to radical discipleship, to following the rabbi wherever he leads, no matter how scared we might feel, and no matter what he asks us to leave behind. Are you willing? Jesus truly believes that his disciples can become like him. That even when we feel tired, or fallen, or incapable, we are able to continue to walk the path, to be formed and shaped more into his image. The first 12 disciples were ordinary people, just like you and I. But with God's power, they transformed the world. Our world is still in need of transformation. It is filled with superficiality and selfishness and people yearning for something real. They aren't impressed by hypocrites, but rather they take notice when somebody puts everything on the line for what they believe, for what they worship. And for us, that is Messiah Jesus and God the Father. If we are willing to demonstrate that radical discipleship, the people around us just might be interested in learning more about our rabbi for themselves. How about you? Will you be faint or faint? What's the difference? Well, a faint, F-E-I-N-T, is a noun that is a, a bold or daring move of action. In fact, in chess, there is a, a move referred to as a faint, which is a, a deceptive move, a, a diversion to get your opponent to watch that while the real attack comes from another direction. And I'm not talking about us being deceptive in any way, but it is a bold move because a feint can cost you the match. If the opponent recognizes what you're doing, it leaves you open many times to be taken out. And to be faint is an adjective, F-A-I-N-T. It means to be dim, hardly perceptible, vague, slight, feeble, lacking enthusiasm, or half-hearted, such as in the phrase, faint of heart. How will you respond when the rabbi asks you to walk on water? Will you follow your rabbi? Will you get out of the boat? You do understand that Jesus still walks on water. He comes to us in the storms of our life, and he invites us to join him in the supernatural, to trust him, to obey him, to continue to follow him. And if we will, he allows us to participate in what he will do supernaturally. The difference is, unlike Peter, we have to not be distracted by the chaos going on all around us. We have to be committed to looking strictly at Jesus, keeping our eye and our focus on who he is. Living life as a Talmud, as a disciple, as one who doesn't just learn and memorize facts about Jesus, but truly follows Jesus 
to learn how to be more like Him and then applies it to our own lives is not easy. In fact, it's not for the faint of heart. It's dirty. It's difficult. It's challenging. But true discipleship demands action. It demands us to to bring ongoing transformation in our life, to allow Jesus to continuously shape us as we follow and learn. And it allows us to submit to his lordship and trust that he can control and handle whatever the circumstances are. We are called to step out in bold and daring and to be willing to follow. It's in our day-to-day, moment-by-moment actions that we show we are truly disciples of the King. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for for your faithfulness, for your willingness to, to not just forgive us, not just redeem us, but Father, to transform us, to use us powerfully as vessels in your kingdom, to make us bringers of your message to a world that is lost and hurting. Father, I pray that you would stir within each one of us through your indwelling Holy Spirit. If we have accepted your Son as Lord and Savior, if we claim him as King, then move in us. Give us strength. Give us boldness. Give us willingness to be daring, to moment by moment, decision by decision, to live out your message. Father, may we be a blessing to you as you pour out your blessings on us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice and your willingness to to give up everything put on human flesh, to walk on this earth without sin, to go to a cross that you did not deserve and pay the price for our sin, to be resurrected and ultimately to empower us to receive that resurrection, that death no longer has hold on us. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer bound to the grave. But we are made one with you. Empowered by the same spirit that rose you from the dead. That same spirit indwells each one of us. Move boldly through us to reach this community for your kingdom. This is my prayer through the holy and powerful name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords.